Good morning. So, just <clears throat> thinking just a few minutes ago about something I, I read this week um, between two two brothers here in the Lord uh, FBC writing to each other and you know encouraging one another on on Facebook as it was, but um, we're talking about how how easy it is to take your health for granted, you know? And this morning, just seeing my brother Dan here this morning, and we prayed for him last week. It was so good to see him at the baptism and then have him here to welcome us today. That was so good. Um, and there's a brother who is not taking his health for granted, um, enjoying what God has given him today to be here and to encourage his brothers and sisters here. But I wonder... You know, as I read this, this comment going back and forth, I wonder, you know, how often we all do just sort of take some of these things for granted, you know? And uh, this morning, thinking of uh, our brother Seth Mitchell has wrapped up his chemo and radiation, but, you know, enduring some really tough weeks right now is, you know, just his body is, you know, filled with these chemicals. And <clears throat> I know that Seth in many ways, like a Joseph, has, has sought to make the most of this journey. Um, it's not something he would have asked for or wanted, uh, and yet it's just been amazing to watch how he's used this journey to bring glory to God and to draw close, closer to the Lord. And um, yeah, today we're gonna be focusing on the idea that we have been blessed to be a blessing and I just, I wonder how often I just take so many blessings for granted, you know? And uh, so before we jump into our, our text for this morning, I thought we just, let's just pray uh, together. Let's pray for, for, for Seth, my brother, and then, and then just uh, for all of us not to take these things for granted. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for my brother Seth. Uh, I thank you so much for the way that I've seen your light shining through him these past few months. Uh, the way that even in the midst of difficult circumstances, he has decided to fix his eyes firmly on you and to cling to you by faith. That he is seeking to use even this difficult trial as a way to bring glory to you and to help others come to know you. And I just thank you for him. God, I pray for a healing in his body. I pray that you would restore him back to full health and that by your grace, you would give him many, many years to serve you and to keep pointing people to your son, Jesus. God, I pray that for, for me. I, and I pray that for my brothers and sisters who are gathered here today, that, that we would recognize that today is a gift, that if we are healthy, that's a gift and it's a gift that is intended to be used for your glory. And I pray that you would help us to see that as a gift. And God, if tomorrow one of us wakes up and we find out that we are sick, God, I pray that we would also see that as an opportunity to bring you glory. None of us are, are, are guaranteed length of, of days, but whether we live a short 
life here on earth or a long life here on earth, we recognize, God, that our life on earth compared to our eternal life is short in comparison, no matter how long we live here. And so, God, I pray that while we, while we make the most of the days you've given us, God, I pray that we would take care of the things that matter most and that we would be prepared not just to live a long life here, but to live for eternal uh, life with you because that is the most important thing. And so, God, this morning we're, we're here. Uh, we are healthy. We're thankful for that. And we're here to learn from your word. And what a gift it is that we get to hold your word in our hands, uh, that we get to study your word. Your son Jesus, when, when he was tempted in the wilderness, said that it's by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God that we just live. And I'm just so thankful that you've given this to us. And I pray that you would speak to us now and that you would do more than allow these words to hit our ears, but that they would penetrate to the depths of our hearts and that we would apply them to our lives and that we would live as changed people. Use us, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, about 25 years ago, 25 years ago, I went on my very first uh, mission trip, and it was to Mexico, actually, um, and it was, you know, with a, a group of students and, and pastors from the, the school of ministry that I was attending at the time uh, out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and there's a lot of things that I really remember about that trip. There's lots of things that the Lord showed me uh, during that trip. I was blown away by the generosity of, of the people there who, you know, relatively, you know, compared to me and those that were coming, had so little, but they were so, so generous. I also remember the obvious joy uh, that was coming from the people there, and it didn't make sense to me at the time. I was like 19, 20 years old, and... and to see how much joy they had with so little was just, you know, puzzling. I also remember the, the passion for Jesus that I saw in the local church uh, there. I remember the passion that I saw from members of my team and the pastors that, that had organized and led our trip. And just, just what I saw was like Jesus in them. But the thing that I remember most, the, the thing that has stuck with me throughout the years actually was a question. It was a question that, that invaded my heart as I was there in uh, this border town uh, of Mexico on the border of, of, of Texas and, and Mexico. And the question was this, God, why have you blessed me so much? I just... As I looked around, I couldn't help, in the face of extreme poverty, recognize just how blessed I was. And I wasn't like a middle-aged guy at that time. I'm like a young teenage young man. I, don't, I didn't have a lot, you know, but I felt so wealthy, you know, when I was there. And what the Lord showed me on that trip was that I have been blessed to be a blessing. I have been blessed to be a blessing, every blessing that we have from God, whether it's financial blessings or relational blessings, spiritual blessings, uh, our health, 
They've been given to us in order to be a blessing to others. Last week, in our continuing study on the life of Joseph, we read about Joseph's sudden you know, climb, right, to be second in command over all of Egypt. I mean, right, one minute he was in a prison, right, just another awful day in an Egyptian prison, and the next minute he's hauled before Pharaoh and he's promoted to second in command, now living in a palace in, in Egypt. I mean, this is like a sudden and dramatic change. And, you know, he's, he's wearing fancy clothes. He's riding around in a chariot, and he's got people bowing down before him. And I just wonder, I wonder if Joseph might have said, God, why have I been so blessed? I wonder. Of course, last week, we talked about turning our why to a what. And I think that what we've seen from Joseph is Joseph was a guy who didn't focus on the why. He focused on the what. And I think he saw that as God, what have you blessed me for, you know? Here's what I want you to see. Joseph was blessed to be a blessing, right? God didn't bless Joseph just because Joseph was such a nice guy, right? Because there's a lot of nice guys that don't get promoted to be second in command over all of Egypt, right? God didn't bless Joseph just because he was a nice guy, although he was a nice guy, God blessed him to be a blessing. He blessed Joseph to be a blessing to Pharaoh. He blessed Joseph to be a blessing to all the people of Egypt, to the people in the surrounding regions that were going to be going through a a famine, right? He blessed Joseph to be a blessing to his father, Jacob, and he blessed Joseph to be a blessing, get this, to his 10 brothers, the very same brothers who had sold him as a slave, God blessed Joseph to be a blessing to them. And you're thinking, man, if I'm going to receive God's blessing, I hope it's not for my enemies, right? But God blessed Joseph to be a blessing to his brothers. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Genesis chapter 42. I can't believe we're already here. Um, we're like halfway through this, this series on, on the life of Joseph, and man, here we are. Genesis chapter 42. We're about to, to begin what is, uh, in my opinion, one of the greatest stories in all of Scripture of forgiveness. Um, the, the, the background has been set. You can see the tension that might have existed between Joseph and his brothers after all that they did to him. But we're about to witness one of the greatest stories of forgiveness in all of Scripture. And there's a lot of good ones in Scripture, right? Well, Genesis 42 begins like this. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I've heard there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So as chapter 42 begins, the scene actually shifts now away from Joseph in Egypt, and it goes back to Joseph's family in Canaan. Now, at this point, the seven years of plenty from Pharaoh's dream, those years have all come and gone. And Joseph has been you know, administering over Egypt, and he's stored away enough grain that they just didn't even know how to keep track of all the, the grain that was coming in. But now, 
Egypt and all the surrounding, re- surrounding regions, they find themselves in the midst of, of famine unlike anything they had ever experienced. And people are, people are starving. They're, 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 they're desperate for food. And so Jacob looks at his sons and he says to them, why do you guys just sit here staring at each other? Quit twiddling your thumbs, right? Get off your behinds and do something, right? He says, I've heard that there's grain down in Egypt, and you guys are just sitting here looking at each other like it's going to put food on the table, right? I wonder, I wonder if at least part of their hesitation, like, oh yeah, we've heard there's grain in Egypt too, dad. And they all looked around at each other like, yeah, Egypt. There's really no other place on earth that we would rather not go, right? Are you sure they don't have grain in Mexico? Um, You know, someplace else, can we head to China and and, and get grain? Uh, Anywhere else, right? We don't want to go to Egypt. Last time we talked about Egypt, we were putting our brother on a caravan to be taken there as, as a slave. I wonder... I wonder if they worried, if we ever go to Egypt, we might run into Joseph. We might see Joseph working as a slave. What would we say? What would he say? What would we do? Well, as we're going to discover in these next few chapters, the sin of their past has been eating away at them for a long, long time. You know, just because you don't talk about it, just because you put it aside, just because you ignore it doesn't make it go away does it? Joseph, he had been in a physical prison, right? He'd he'd experienced a physical prison, but I believe that Joseph's brothers had been living in a prison of their own. And they may have thought that, they may have thought that, all right, fine, dad's sending us down to Egypt to buy grain, right? But God had something far, far more valuable to give them than grain, You see, God is going to give them the gift of a clear conscience. God is going to give them the gift of forgiveness. God's going to give them the gift of of mercy and grace and reconciliation with a brother that they hated so much that they sold into slavery. But they don't know any of that, do they? They don't know any of that. Dad just wants them to go down to Egypt. Well, verse 3 says, So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So Joseph's 10 older brothers, they they, they listened to their father. To their credit, they went. They did what dad asked them to do. So they, they loaded up their donkeys and, and they head off to Egypt, a journey of about 250 miles, roughly, and a journey which would have taken them at least 10 days, at least 10 days journey uh, by donkey to get uh, from Canaan down to Egypt. But notice who's not going with them. Who, who's missing right now? It's it's Benjamin, right? The text says that Jacob did not send Benjamin because he was afraid that harm might happen to him. 
Jacob's afraid that the, that the same thing that happened to Joseph might happen to now my new favorite son, Benjamin. And what we're going to see in these chapters is that Jacob has, you know, he's continued to show favoritism. He's continuing to, to, to elevate one of his kids above the rest. And we know that that is a big part of what caused the problems between Joseph and his older brothers. But not only that, Jacob has become, I mean, like if he was protective of Joseph, he is like hyper, super protective now of Benjamin. He's an overprotective, you know, like a hovering parent, right? Have you heard of that? Like the helicopter parents, you know? Like Benjamin like literally couldn't go out and play with his friends without bubble wrap, right? I mean, this is like, I'm sure he wore a helmet, um, you know, and, and he wasn't allowed to go play uh, sports or anything. He just had to stay home with dad. Uh, this, was, uh, this is what Jacob had become. But here's the crazy thing about that. Because I, we read these stories and we're like, yeah, Jacob's like overprotective of his little boy, Benjamin. But Benjamin's not a little boy. That's what makes this so funny. Benjamin is probably around 30 years old at this point. He's like a 30-year-old. He's a young man. Uh, by the, time, he, by the high, time this all unfolds, I mean, many people believe that Benjamin might have had a family of his own. And daddy is not letting him go play with his brothers. You're going to stay home, Benjamin. Verse 6 says that Joseph was the governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and they bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. So I want you to picture the scene, right? Joseph's second command over all of Egypt. This is just another day in Joseph's life, right? This is what he does. Now, do you think he was involved with every transaction over the distribution of food? No, clearly not. They were storehouses all over Egypt, um, and, and people would come and they would get their grain. But Joseph was still definitely involved, and probably, I'm guessing, in particular, he was involved with those who were coming from foreign lands uh, watching. I wonder maybe if Joseph was really particularly interested with people coming from the land of Canaan, you know? I wondered if he wondered, will this day ever come where maybe my, my father's family might show up? But today, as Joseph is, is, is overseeing the distributions, he's sitting there and all of a sudden he hears something in his ears. Maybe he hears some chatter coming and, it, and it's the native tongue that he grew up speaking, right? He hears them talking with one another. He looks up and who does he see in front of him? He sees 10 men that look a lot like his brothers, the ones that had sold him as a slave when he was 17 years old. Of course, they look a lot different, don't they? They don't look the same because it's been roughly 22 years since the day they sold him as a slave. 22 years have, have gone by. His brothers are older, they're balder, they're, uh, they are grayer, they probably have a little extra in the midsection, you know? And, and so Joseph looks up though, but he recognizes them. He sees them. He's now 39 years old 
himself. While his brothers have been back in Canaan, you know, building families of their own, Joseph, well, he's been, he's been a slave, right? He's been a slave. He's been a prisoner. And now he's been functioning as, as one of the most powerful men in the world for the last, you know, eight, maybe nine years of his life. And the text says that Joseph recognized them, but they did not recognize him. He sees them. He's like, oh, I know who that is. They don't have a clue who this man in front of them is. And that's because Joseph also is 22 years older. How many of you know that you look a little different at 39 than you do at 17? I also am a little balder, a lot heavier, and uh, yes, a little grayer uh, even. And so they don't recognize Joseph, but not only because he had aged, but because Joseph was thoroughly Egyptian in every way. You know, they looked at him and he was clean shaven, no hair on his head, no hair on his face, right? He would have been wearing full Egyptian regalia, right? Like the the headdress, all of that, because he was a powerful, wealthy man in Egypt. He would have been wearing beautiful clothes and, and people waiting on him. And this is not the Joseph that they remember, right? Joseph is what to them? He's a slave somewhere or dead by now, right? They have no expectation to see Joseph. So not surprisingly, they don't, they don't recognize him. And Joseph is not ready to reveal himself to them yet. The text says that Joseph treated them like strangers and he spoke roughly to them. He said, where do you come from? Now, we don't see it here, but we'll see it later in the text. But, but Joseph didn't speak to them in their language He also spoke Egyptian. He spoke to them through an interpreter. And he said, where do you come from? And this begins what is going to be a long, long test that Joseph is going to put his brothers through. Joseph is testing his brothers in these next few chapters to see if they have truly changed. He's testing them to see if they are truly, you know, repentant for all that they had done. It's a test which which I believe is guided by the Lord. We know that Joseph was a man who was filled with the Spirit of God. And I believe that God led Joseph to put his brothers through this test. So Joseph, he he concealed his identity. And in verse 9, we read this. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. So as Joseph sees his brothers, right, they're they're bowing down before him, he remembers the dreams that he had dreamed some 22 years ago. Do you remember those dreams? That was like our first weeks in the study, right? Joseph had a dream that he and his brothers were out binding sheaves of grain, remember? And all of a sudden, as they're all binding their sheaves, Joseph's sheaves stands up in the middle, all tall and proud, while his brother's sheaves all bowed down to him. Crazy how this dream is coming true. (laughs) Joseph is standing there, and what's in front of him? His brothers bowed down to him in need of what? Grain. Grain. Wow. Guess that dream really was from the Lord, wasn't it? Now, that was his first dream. His second dream was what? 
The second dream was that the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars would bow down before him. So Joseph looks, and he's like, there's something missing, right? He looks, and he's like, I, I know in the first dream that all the sheaves bowed down to me, but I had a very, very specific second dream where the sun, the moon, and 11 stars, not 10, 11 stars bowed down before me. Somebody's missing. It's his little brother, Benjamin, who's back home with dad. But Joseph doesn't know that, does he? Joseph doesn't know what's up with Benjamin. He doesn't know what's happened to his father. For all Joseph knows, dad might be dead. Maybe his brothers had also you know, sold Benjamin off as a slave, right? He has no idea about dad or Benjamin. So Joseph decides he's going to press his brothers a little further. I think he's fishing maybe for some information. So at this point, he accuses them of being spies. And Joseph's brothers, they must have been like right, shaking in their sandals, right? I mean, this is terrifying. They're just here to get some grain, just like everybody else. People from all over the land come, and, and all of a sudden, this guy is, is being really, really gruff with us, and he's accusing us of being spies. Do you think Joseph did that to everybody coming through the line? No, of course not. These are like, I mean, if, if you could see them too, if you could just imagine what they look like, these are shepherds, right? Just poor shepherds coming through. And he's being really gruff with them. And they're, they're, they're concerned, right? This is a very serious accusation. This powerful man in front of us is accusing us of being spies in the land. They realize that they could die for this, right? And so they quickly, in verse 10, they replied and they said, they said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We're all sons of one man. In other words, we're brothers. We're brothers. We're not like soldiers. We're brothers. We're poor, dumb shepherds, okay? If they had said that, he would have agreed. Um, they said, but then, then they said this, we are honest men, <laughs> right? I don't know how Joseph just didn't bust out laughing when they said that, right? We're honest men. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Your servants have never been spies. Can you imagine the self-control it took for Joseph at this point? Honestly. Honestly. Honest men? You've got to be kidding me. Really? The only thing that they were really being honest about was the fact that they, you know, they had never been spies, right? That's true. These are not exactly what you would call honest men. They've been lying to their father for 22 years about their brother Joseph, right? So in verse 12, Joseph continues to press them. He said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers. We're the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. For a second time, for a second time, Joseph, Joseph accuses them of being spies. And this time, they're going to give Joseph the information that he's looking for. 
They're just, they're just trying to convince Joseph that they're just honest, ordinary men. They just want to convince Joseph that they are not spies. So they're like, uh, no, we're brothers. We're brother. We have one father, and we have, we have another brother who's back home with dad, and then we have this other brother. Well, he, he is no more. Listen, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine all that Joseph must have been feeling at that moment. Because all at once, Joseph discovers a a few things. First of all, he discovers that dad is alive. My father, the one who loved me so much, he's still alive. Wow. He also figures out that his brother Benjamin is still alive, or so they say, right? But he also finds out that he, Joseph, is thought to be no more. Really? No more? Really? Is that how you got yourself to sleep at night? Just convinced that something bad had happened to me, that I don't exist anymore, that I'm not alive? Did you ever think to come look for me? Did you ever second guess your decision? Did you ever think to maybe tell dad? You know, dad would have come to get me. You know he would have. Really? No more? Wow. If they only knew, if they only knew that the person that they thought to be no more was standing there in front of them, standing right there in front of them. But instead now of letting them know who he is, Joseph accuses them a third time. Verse 14, he said, but Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. And by this, you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you will not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. If this was a movie, I mean, there's some dramatic music playing <laughs> at this point in, in the story, right? And a, and a commercial break, right? <laughs> to find out what happens next. Man, the drama is thick here, right? I mean, this is 22 years in, in the making. And this could have played out a lot of ways, don't you agree? I mean, think about all the things that Joseph could have done. I mean, if you were Joseph, what would you do? right? Joseph says, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to keep nine of you as prisoners while one of you goes home to bring back your uh, younger brother. And if that person doesn't return, then we will know that you are really spies. But before he decides that he's going to go through with this plan, before he decides to do it, Joseph puts all 10 of them in custody for three days. For three days, Joseph's brothers are going to experience what Joseph had lived through for years of his life. Verse 18 says that on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, as you say you are, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody. Let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother 
to me. And so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Well, apparently, as Joseph's brothers were confined for the, you know, the three days, Joseph comes up with a different plan. You know, the original plan, right? The original plan was to keep nine of them back and send one home to get the brothers. But while he's, you know, has them confined for three days, Joseph reconsiders. Maybe God nudges him and gives him a, a different plan. Instead, what he's going to do is he's going to keep one of them in custody, and he's going to send the other nine home with their grain. And what's really interesting about this new plan is that this plan is going to test the desires of the majority, the nine, in how they're going to care for the one, the one that's left behind. And this is a really good test, isn't it? Because, after all, it was the majority, the ten, who had failed to care for the one when it was Joseph all those years ago. You know, maybe if he, if he had sent one home, they'd be like, well, we've got to go back. There's nine of our brothers in prison. We've got to go back and get them. But would they go back for just one? Or would they cut their losses, right? It's a great test. It was a test to find out, had they really changed? Would they return to save their brother? Or would they abandon him just like they had with Joseph? Well, after Joseph tells them the new plan, his brothers begin to have a conversation amongst themselves. They're not realizing that Joseph can understand them, right? Because he's been speaking to them through an interpreter. So they start talking amongst themselves. In verse 21, we read this. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered, and he said, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you didn't listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Apparently, the three days in confinement have brought Joseph's brothers to a place where they could no longer hide from the weight of all that they had done. God was working on their hearts during those three days. For three days, Joseph's brothers had been forced to wrestle not only with the difficulty of the circumstances that they now found themselves in, right? They knew they were in trouble. This is a really tough spot that they're in. But they were forced also to deal with the guilt and the shame of their past. And it was a weight that they had been carrying for decades, an unconfessed sin that was crushing to their souls. It was too much. It was too much. And they recognized that, that, that God is the one who's doing this to us, and it's a payment. We're getting paid back for what we did to Joseph. There now comes a reckoning for Joseph's blood, they say. In Psalm 32, in Psalm 32, King David describes the, the, the weight of this burden of unconfessed sin. He says this, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, 
Your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Have you ever carried that type of weight? The weight of unconfessed sin? Something that maybe you've done in the past that you're not proud of? Maybe some way that you hurt somebody? God's hand of, uh, of, 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 of uh, pressure is on you, pushing you toward, towards repentance, right? Weighing heavy on you. Like David, you can't even sleep. Your body aches from the weight of it. Well, Joseph's brothers, they, they are feeling that right now. They're, they're feeling the conviction of God's hand weighing heavy on them. And they realize that this whole distress that they're going through, this isn't about grain, is it? We're not really being punished for anything other than the fact that we did this thing to our brother Joseph, and it's all coming back to us now. But they don't realize is that Joseph, his blood is still pumping right in front of them. He's standing in their presence. He's listening to every word. And in verse 23, we read that they didn't know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he, this is Joseph, turned away from them. And what's it say? He wept. He wept. And then he returned to them and he spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and he bound him before their eyes. As Joseph listens, right, he's listening into his brothers and, he, and they're having this conversation. He doesn't have a, he has no idea for 22 years what his brothers have thought about that day. He remembers that day. He remembers crying out to them. He remembers begging for his life. But he also remembers that they turned their backs on him, right, and watched him taken away. And as Joseph hears them now acknowledging their guilt, and describing that day when he begged them for mercy, it's just too much for Joseph to bear. And so he turned away from them and he wept. He's overcome with emotions. But while Joseph sees that his brother's hearts are, are being moved, right? They're being moved towards repentance. He's still not sure. He's not sure whether or not he can trust them. Is this a real repentance? Or is this just because they're in trouble, you know? Have they really changed? You know, is reconciliation truly possible? Just a note on that. You know, I believe that probably in Joseph's heart, as he's spent 22 years and the Lord's been growing Joseph and ministering to Joseph and, and building him into the man that he is at this point, I believe that God had worked out that forgiveness piece probably in Joseph's heart a long time ago that he had forgiven his brothers for what had happened. I, I believe that he had already forgiven them. But reconciliation, restoration of the relationship, that requires something from both parties, doesn't it? In order for a relationship to be reconciled and restored, both parties have to be willing and understand what's happened, right? You can forgive somebody for what they've done, but you can't control necessarily whether or not restoration and reconciliation ever take, take place. But I think Joseph is looking, he's recognizing there's a possibility for reconciliation here. There's possibility for restoration. 
God has me here for a purpose. I'm, a, I'm being blessed to be a blessing to my brothers, and it's so much more than grain. So Joseph decides to continue with the test. He's going to continue with this test to see if this is authentic. And so after composing himself, he comes back in, and he has Simeon bound in front of them, just like he had been bound years ago, and then taken away. You can bet your bottom dollar that Joseph was watching their reaction as Simeon was bound and taken away. Verse 25 says, and Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Joseph not only, not only loads them up with the grain, they came, to, they came to Egypt for grain, right? That's why they're there. He gives them what they came for. But not only that, he restores their money back to them. Can you believe that? He's going to give them their grain, and he's not going to even charge them for it. This is an incredible act of grace. It's an incredible act of grace. And probably another part of the test, right? That's certainly how his brothers are going to view it. What would they do? What would they do when they found out that their money was still in their bags? What would they do when they realized that we have all this grain, but we didn't pay for it? But we didn't pay for it. Verse 26 says, Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain, and they departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. And he said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. That rhymes. Did you see that? I wonder if it rhymed in the original Hebrew. At this, their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? They don't see this as a blessing. They're not like, awesome, free food, right? No, they're not, that's not how they're seeing it. After a day of traveling, they've traveled a full day's journey away from Egypt. They're heading home to Canaan, and they've got a big mission. We have to go home. We have to get Benjamin. Then we've got to turn around and come back. I mean, we're, talk, we're looking at least 20 days of travel here, right? And so they, they're, they're stopped. They, they, they stop for the night to, to, to rest and to give the donkeys a rest. And this guy opens up his bag and he's like, uh-oh, my money's still there. This is not good. You see, because they already know. They know that, that this guy in Egypt, this, uh, what's his, what's his uh, Egyptian name? Zaphnath Panea. This man, Zaphnath Panea, that we stood before, he already thinks we're spies. He's already convinced that we're spies, and we're on this mission now to prove that we're not. Now he's going to think we're what? We're thieves. Yeah. We're, we're spies and thieves, taking the money and running. What is God doing to us? They see this as a, not a blessing from God. This is God's judgment. What are we going to do now? Well, they decide, apparently, and I'm guessing there must have been at least a little bit of a powwow, right? Like, what do we do? Should we go back? I mean, should we travel back? No, probably not. Then they'll put us all in prison, 
right? So they said, listen, I guess what we'll do, let's just go get Benjamin and then we'll, re- we'll bring that money back when we bring him. Verse 29 says, when they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to him. Dad, you are not going to believe all that's taken place. This is a crazy, crazy story about what's happened. They said, the man, the Lord of the land spoke roughly to us. He took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, we're honest men. We've never been spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. We told him the truth, Dad. We told him everything we could to convince him that we are not spies. But then the man said, the Lord of the land, said to us, by this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me Then I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you will trade in the land. The brothers are like, it's pretty simple, Dad. Okay, here's the deal. The Egyptian ruler, he kept Simeon as a prisoner. Our brother Simeon, right? The second oldest of all of, all of our brothers, he, he, the, the Egyptian, Zaphnath Paneah, he kept him as a prisoner. And, and I know this is bad. I know this is bad, but there's a good solution. All we have to do, Dad, is we just have to bring Benjamin back to Egypt with us. And he said he will release Simeon. And get this, not only is he going to let release Simeon, he's going to recognize that we're not spies, and he's going to allow us to trade in the land. That means we can go back and forth and get as much grain as we want, Dad. This is good news, right, Dad? Right? Right, Dad? <laughs> I bet you could have heard a pin drop, right? This is not a simple solution in Jacob's mind, right? Why? Because you're talking about Benjamin, Benji, right? I mean, this is like my boy. This is my boy. My 30-year-old son who can't go out and play. (laughs) On top of that, there's another wrinkle about to unfold. Okay, verse 35 says, As they then emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. Oh, it's so much worse than we realized. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. Not just one bundle of money was returned. They're like, oh, we can explain this. They forgot to take the money out of his sack. We brought it back to you. What? Nobody paid for their grain? We stole enough grain for an entire family of, 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 of 11 brothers and a father and all their family. We, we draw all this grain back and nobody paid for it. We're done. We are so done. They know, they are confident now that Zaphnath Paneah is going to label them as thieves. As far as they're concerned, the, the, the Egypt's most wanted posters are already posted on every corner of Egypt. They, they're done. They are so done. We can never appear in Egypt now, right? This is so bad. So in verse 36, we read, Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? All this 
has come against me. All this. By the way, something just, just noticed here. You bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you take Benjamin. There's at least part of Jacob that holds his sons responsible for what had happened to Joseph. Oh, he heard the story about them coming across and finding his robe all ripped in blood, but something doesn't add up to Jacob. Something never added up about that story for 22 years. He holds them responsible for his son's death. Jacob says, I've already lost two sons. Now you want to take a third? You want to take my favorite son, Benjamin? Clearly, everything is against me. What are you trying to do to me, boys? Verse 37. (laughs) This is like one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. That's a really weird, ver- weird verse to be your fa- one of your favorites in Scripture. I think it's hilarious. I think this is hilarious. Reuben sees that his father is in great distress. My dad is freaking out right now. There's no way he's going to let Benjamin go with us. So he says, Dad, listen. Here's the deal, Dad. If you give me Benjamin, give me Benjamin, I'm going to go down to Egypt, and I'm going to bring back both Benjamin and Simeon. I'm going to do it. That's what I'm going to do, Dad. And here's the deal. If I don't do it successfully, you can kill your grandsons. Really? Lucky me. (laughs) If I go down to Egypt to get Benjamin and Simeon, and I'm not successful, so Joseph's gone, Simeon's gone, Benjamin's now gone, and likely you're now gone. Maybe that's not a bad thing. So four of you are now gone. You're telling me if that happens... I get to kill my grandsons? What a bargain. What a deal. Like, all I can imagine, all I can imagine in this moment is, is, is that Jacob must have been thinking, that is the dumbest thing that I have ever heard. That is the dumbest thing that I have ever heard, Reuben. You need to sit down before you hurt yourself, you know? We actually will learn more about Reuben later in our series, but Reuben was just incredibly impulsive. He's all over the place. He is literally all over the place. He's unstable. So in verse 38, and I love this too, Jacob doesn't even like really give him a response. It's like, not even like, well, no. He just says, but he said, no, my son will not go down with you. For his brother is dead and he's the only one left. If harm should come to him on the journey that you are about to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Jacob says, there is no way that I'm going to let Benjamin go. He says, if if I lose Benjamin, it will kill me. My heart can't handle that. My, My head would go down to the grave to Sheol in sorrow. But there's something else that he says here that I really want you to see. Jacob is standing there, right? And he's got nine of his sons standing around, right? Nine of them, his older sons. And he's got probably Benjamin there as well. 
And with his nine oldest sons, sons standing there in his presence, this is what he says. My son shall not go down with you. Benjamin is not going. For his brother is dead. Joseph, right? Joseph is dead. And he, Benjamin, is the only one left. Ooh. Ouch. Ouch. What a cold and what a hurtful thing for a father to say. You know? And Jacob may have had a strained relationship with his boys, I think largely brought on by the way that he favored Joseph, right? And it all goes back, again, to the way that he favored one wife over his others, right? But what a horrible, horrible thing to say to your boys. As I mentioned in the first week of our series, uh, Joseph's brothers, they are absolutely... Right? They are responsible for what they did to Joseph. They can't blame that on anybody. Right? They are responsible for what they did. But Jacob's poor parenting and his obvious displays of favoritism created a climate where hatred and jealousy could thrive. And he was still creating that climate even to this day, 22 years Later, it's weird. You know, Jacob doesn't seem to have changed very much, has he? We don't see a lot of change in Jacob, but praise God, there's been a change in his sons. His sons have changed. And with Jacob now refusing to allow Benjamin to go, Jacob was making a choice to abandon Simeon as a prisoner in Egypt. That's the other part of it, right? Not only was he saying, I only have one son left, he was saying, Simeon can rot in jail. He can stay there. Jacob would rather sacrifice Simeon than even risk the possibility of losing Benjamin. And here's the worst part. Here's the worst part about the whole thing. While Jacob is convinced that everything is against him, right? He's convinced. It's all coming against me. Everything's against me. You're against me. God's against me. The whole world is against me. Poor me, Jacob, right? While he's absolutely convinced that, the, that everything is against him, the reality of the situation is that God is actually working all these things together for his good, for his blessing, if he just would have went along with the plan, you understand that like 10 days from now, Joseph would be alive to Jacob again if he'd have just gone along with the plan. But unfortunately, because of his unwillingness to be the type of father that he should be, go after his son Simeon, the blessings that God have in store for Jacob are going to have to wait. He's going to have to suffer a little longer. Let me close with this. God blessed Joseph in order for Joseph to be a blessing, right? He was going to be a blessing to Pharaoh. He was going to be a blessing to Egypt, to the regions around Egypt. He was going to be a blessing to his father, Jacob. He's going to be a blessing to his 10 brothers, the very same ones who had sold him into slavery. But more than that, 
More than all of that, God blessed Joseph to be a blessing to all mankind. And we're going to see it as this story unfolds. And if you continue to read the story, after we finish up the story of Joseph, if you keep reading, you read Exodus. And, and, and then you keep reading and you read the rest of the Old Testament. You're going to see that God blessed Joseph in order to, to preserve this family. Because in this family, Joseph has an older brother named Judah. And, and from Judah's line, God is going to bring a blessing for all mankind. He's going to bring forth a Savior who is Jesus the Christ. Through Jesus, God is going to bring a blessing to all mankind because he's going to make forgiveness available and reconciliation available to anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. That's an incredible, incredible blessing that was made possible through the blessing that God poured out on Joseph. Joseph was blessed to be a blessing. As we continue this story, we're going we're gonna to witness, again, like I said, one of the most incredible stories of forgiveness in all of Scripture, right? The reconciliation of Joseph with his brothers, it is amazing. And by the way, it should give you hope that there's no relationship here on earth that is beyond reconciliation, especially when the Lord is in the midst of that relationship. But that story, that story of forgiveness that we're going to read is only a foreshadow it's just a foreshadow of the, of, of the story of forgiveness and reconciliation that is available to each and every one of us. Earlier, I, I read a couple of verses from Psalm 32. I want to close by just reading a few more verses surrounding those. Psalm 32, verse 1 says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed, happy, Right? Happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, blessed, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then... I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Oh, the freedom, the freedom that is made available to each and every one of us if we will confess our sins to the Lord and allow his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace to wash over us. When we bring our sins to the Lord and confess them, when we repent, and to repent means to turn away from them, right? To repent is to turn away. When we do that, he forgives us our sins. And in the book of Acts, it talks about times of refreshing can come from the Lord. Amen? If you are here, and in, in, of course you're here, but if you are a believer and you're listening to this message and you've got unconfessed sin in your life that's eating away at you, 
like David, it's just weighing on your soul. Maybe it's a sin against a brother or a sister or, or a child or, or, or a spouse or, or somebody, but you got sin in your heart that you need to confess. I want to encourage you to first, would you go to God with that? Go to God and confess that sin. And then follow the Spirit's leading on how you're going to make it right with those that you have hurt. And he'll lead you and he'll show you the path. Forgiveness is available. Restoration, reconciliation are possible. With the other person, time will tell what that reconciliation and restoration can look like. But I can promise you that the forgiveness and the reconciliation and the restoration with your relationship with God is going to begin when you go to him and repent. You need to do it. You need to get right with the Lord. And if you're here this morning and you've never confessed your sins to the Lord, you're not, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You'd say, no, I'm just here because I'm just visiting. I'm curious. I'm wondering, or my, somebody dragged me here. I told him I'd come. If you've never received the forgiveness of God, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, and I'm telling you, that is the most important decision you will ever make. It's time to, to be free from the weight and the penalty of sin in your life. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ today. You can confess your sins and he will forgive you and he will give you eternal life with him. It's amazing. Most important decision you'll ever make. So I want to encourage you today, if that's where you're at and you have questions about that, I want to invite you, would you please today come and talk to me after the service? I would love to sit down and talk with you more about that. I'd be happy to pray with you. Talk to Pastor Henry. He's usually standing right out that front door. Grab him as you're leaving on the stairs and just say, I'd love to talk to you about, about what Chris was talking about. I've never put my faith in Jesus. And he'd be happy to meet with you as well. If you don't want to talk to either one of us, talk to somebody else here. A lot of people would be happy to talk with you about that. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. Amen? And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, you're a Christian, let's not forget how much we've been blessed. We have been blessed so ridiculously much, right? So many blessings. And we have been blessed to be a blessing. That's right. We've been blessed to be a blessing. So go and bless people. Be a conduit of God's blessing to others. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for all the blessings that you've poured out on our lives. I thank you for the greatest blessing that ever existed, and that is your son, Jesus. You sent your son into this world. He lived a perfect life, and he died in our place on a cross. I thank you for that. I thank you that because of him, we are able to be forgiven fully forever. And because of him, we can have eternal life with you. And God, I pray this morning, if there's anybody here who does not already know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today they would be bold that they would step up and they would come and talk to myself or somebody else and they would make the decision today to confess their sins, to repent, to turn away from them and to ask you to forgive them to be their Lord and Savior. And God, I pray that for all of us, that as we leave this place, that we would walk around as conduits of your blessing. Use us, whatever you've given us, God, whatever it is, we pray that you would use it to be a blessing to others. We pray these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen.